In a world of downloadable streaming singles, our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper at what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. Welcome to The Sound Effect. Welcome to our episode this week. Um, uh, the album we're looking at this week is probably actually there's no probably about it, Dave. Yeah. This is the the most critically acclaimed album we've looked at. I, would, oh. I, I think it's safe to say critically acclaimed. Uh, it's got uh, there's a like a, a mystique to it. There's a legendary status to it. Oh yeah, massive. You know, highly influential to so many bands and artists Mm -hmm. uh cite this as a huge album like it's almost to the point like when you first told me we were doing it i'm like well what the hell are we gonna say (laughs) like that (laughs) That hasn't been said a million times hasn't been said like rolling stone like any magazine can you can dig up in 19 you know from 94 especially uh after his untimely death it, well, wait, before the... you say that, we should we should tell the listeners the album we're looking yeah. at this week yes. is Jeff Buckley's Grace, released right. in uh, August 23rd, 1994 on Columbia Records. Yes, and it's just going to throw this in there. This is my wife's favorite album of all time. Like, Really? Huge, I didn't know that. Huge loves, loves. And I didn't, until I met her, I didn't really know much about this. I knew Jeff Buckley. He was mm-hmm. a singer, and he died. But I really didn't get into it until I met her, and uh, ah. yeah. So that's so the Grace is on. Uh, it's it's been played in our household quite a bit. So yeah, I uh, had no idea. I had no idea. It was yeah, her favorite no, album. no, so. uh, no. She is like a huge Jeff Buckley, and this is this is that album. 
you know, okay. if you want to get morbid for a second, and this could be our pop-up episode, uh, there's songs on that are going to be imper- appearing in people's funeral from this right. album. Right. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. That could be a pop-up so, episode. Like, what's your funeral yeah. song? What's your funeral <laughs> song? So let's let's get the merit out of the way first, right? Uh, Q, Q voted Grace the 13th greatest album of all time. Uh, Rolling Stone uh, gave it, uh, ranked it 147 out of 500 as the greatest album list of all time. Yep. Uh, 2006, Mojo named Grace the number one modern rock classic of all time. Um, Australia did like a television show called My Favorite Album, and this was the number two album for the whole country uh, for their second album. Uh, we look at the the stars who have loved this album. Uh, Tom York uh, connects fake, fake plastic trees. Yeah, I'm glad after- you I'm glad you dug that because that's like a quote from Tom York. I remember yeah. from year like reading and it always just stuck with me about how after witnessing him and hearing the album and seeing him perform, mm-hmm. he knew he had to up his game as a singer, yeah. right? You know, the sports analogy is you leave it all out there, right? Mm. And that's that's what, like, you know, Tom York took that and said, and so many artists, uh, same thing. It's just like, it's like he gave them permission to, yeah, leave it all out there and just, you know, just let your, your soul pour out. And also, I, I think vocal-wise, uh, to I mean, I read that Tom York said it also allowed him to know, oh, I can sing falsetto without yeah. sounding. I think the word was dripping that he used, uh, or uh, John Leckie, the producer, talked about. And and I, you know, it's funny because I remember in the when I played in music, um, for those who, who you who can't see me through the radio, I'm like six foot five, <laughs> and. I don't have, as you guys have probably noticed from listening, I don't have a really deep voice. So when I used to sing, I had a very high voice. And I still remember this band we used to play with, and their lead singer was like five foot four, and he had a really deep voice. And we used to joke that we're probably people see us in a different way all the time. Uh, That idea of that falsetto voice, if you go before Jeff Buckley... Uh, it's hard. It's hard to find a falsetto voice in rock and roll, oh, right? You, yeah. it's, you know, and so he does give that allowance that I think you see follow. And I, I really see it in a lot of Canadian musicians. Uh, we talked earlier in the year about Martin Tielli. He, he uses falsetto. Hoxley uh, Andy Workman. St- yeah, Hoxley Workman, yeah. Andy Stachansky. Um there's certainly a uh, Rufus Wainwright, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I know he's not necessarily as rocky, maybe as we would think, but that falsetto voice. And then if you go from Radiohead, you have a ton of British bands who started to use falsetto too, right? Yep. So I think I think this album allows that. Uh, but on top of Tom York, we have Jimmy Page for, listed as one of his favorite albums, Robert Plant, Brad Pitt, Bob Dylan, David Bowie. Um, all uh, all of these people uh list this album particularly as one of the greatest albums ever made. Uh, so like you said, what can we possibly bring to this? Beats me, man. Well, thanks yeah. a lot. Good night, everyone. <laughs> but I, I mean, I guess it's probably worth talking again. 
one of the things that always has interested me is that mythic side of a musician when they die. That right? morbid, and, that morbid uh, mm-hmm. death is always good for sales. Right. And, and that, yeah, and that sounds cynical, but yes. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah. But, and again, that, that tormented singer, right? The tormented singer-songwriter who's died before his time, right? Uh, Elliot Smith, um, who, interestingly enough, comes after Buckley, and I think is probably quite influenced by him. Uh, Nick Drake, yeah. uh, Jeff Buckley's father, Tim Buckley, right? So, uh, but even Kurt Cobain, um there's a whole pile of that sort of tormented. I mean, you know, obviously Jim Morrison. I think there's a lot of that sort of tormented singer here as well that we've kind of well, it's it's uh, put onto this. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and put it, onto Jeff Buckley, and, it, and it's you know who controls the narrative after you're dead, right? Like right, you don't have any say in that, and it's like, well, this person said this, and this person, and that's, and they were close to them, and. And yeah, this myth builds up. And uh, mm-hmm. whereas to me, any interview really I saw with him, he was very, he was very contemplative. Mm-hmm. I didn't see him as much of a downer or anything. Like it didn't seem no, like, no, like no. everybody. Everybody's got baggage, right? And but everything I read, he said it wasn't. He yeah, wasn't that way at all. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's yeah. The, I can yeah. You can we can discuss the how this took off after his death really and uh you know one thing i always wondered too about when when bands die like would they be as a legend as they are you know mm-hmm. would the, would this album have reached this pinnacle that it is at and or would he have just released another album and, and would that be the one maybe you know mm-hmm. every, every album's a project every album's a progression right. and at this time you know, we, uh, you know, I, I mentioned how labels were just kind of throwing everything at the wall. This was like, you know, 89, 90, things started changing. And when Nirvana hit, that just threw pop, that threw metal out the window. And you had, like, labels had no idea what was going on. So they were just picking everything. And they were giving bands more time. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, man, here's five albums. Go, go make some money. And if it takes you two or three of them, great. You know, so Jeff... I can I can only imagine what his album after this would have been like, you know, and it, mm-hmm. would would this be the one we're talking about? Would this be the next one or would it have taken him two or three albums to really break? And now and then it's just Jeff Buckley and he's got this catalog all of a sudden. Right. I always wonder, you know, would Led Zeppelin have been the, you know, the the band that everybody bases heavy metal on and their band on? John Bonham had lived and they just kept, right. they were like they were nowhere near slowing down they were still going they were just he just mm-hmm. drank himself to death right right and so yeah the, and the band stopped it's like nope no mm-hmm. more music we're done off plant, right. went, plant went solo page does his stuff uh you know and that's and so they were you're left with this uh oh uh you know they're you're left with this back catalog that just grows in in legendary status Whereas I always think like Deep Purple, they just kept releasing albums. Yeah, and th- it was, the, and they were kind of those two bands that were always like bang, 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 right? And and uh, you know they just kind of like kept going and then died a little bit up, up. You know their their career just keep going up and up, up and down. Yeah, and uh, Ditto Nirvana, like right when their third album came out, it 
people weren't clamoring for it. And, you mean in utero? In utero, thanks. Produced and, by produced by the same person who produced exactly. Jeff Buckley's record. Yeah. And you know, the and then he dies and they release MTV Unplugged and that thing turns into this massive hit, right? Right. And because it's like all of a sudden, oh my god, this is the last thing they ever did. And yeah. So it, Oh my gosh, he could play acoustic guitars. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my that. god. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and I don't want to. I, I got to be careful here because I'm making a connection to what you're saying uh, on the amount of albums this person came out with and and what happened to them afterwards, and not the fact that they were both young and both died at the same time. So I just want to make that clear. Yeah. Uh, and that is Nick Drake, right? Nick Drake puts yeah. out three albums. Uh, is a completely 100% different personality than jeff buckley i mean he has serious depression issues he lives up Uh, to the legend right like absolutely in that capacity but yeah you've got to wonder like i I, my least favorite and this is a debatable point among uh, uh drake fans but my least favorite drake album is his last album which is a lot more kind of keyboardy and kind of starting to move into something where i'm like i'm not sure what that next record would have been but he sold less than 5,000 albums in his entire life while he was alive. And only after his death did he become this superstar that we now have people like camped outside his home in England. Right. Like, and I, and I'm with you like, yeah. Hallelujah. Wasn't released as a, as a single three years later, they release it or a few years later, anyhow, they release it as a, sort of tribute to him and it becomes this iconic song with again like connotations of heaven and godliness with hallelujah and the death like it's almost like they were creating you know uh this mythic figure you know and i'm not saying that jeff buckley wasn't deserving of that in any way shape or form but how much of that was created a created sense of you never know uh, you, you, right you never know you right ne- you don't know and that's those are the questions you're left with right like what, yeah what could have been what yeah uh you know and uh, you could go to Jimi hendrix too my favorite guitar player mm-hmm. and it's just there was just so much has been released since he died and you know but other guitar much of play. it not very much of it's not oh, very it's good just, or just yeah. releases of like oh we found yeah. this live album from like sweden right hey let's yeah. throw that out there but you know meanwhile like buddy guy bb king like these guys kept mm-hmm. making albums and out like and they were all in that guitar not in you know the same showmanship type thing that hendrix had but they just kept doing their thing and it, and it was just like oh yeah it's bb king oh it's buddy guy he's playing blues you know where it's like oh but jimmy page Mm-hmm. Or sorry, Jimi Hendrix. You know, like that's he is right. the guy, and it's yeah. I'm not I'm not taking anything away from him. Like I said, he is my favorite guitar player, and I just love everything he did. And he, but it's if he had just kept doing that, would he still have been the guy, or would we have been like, oh, he had that album? Are you experienced? Back in the '60s, it was pretty good. <laughs> you know you I mean? also, yeah, and you talked about Kurt Cobain uh, and that and that connection there. I mean. I kind of laugh uh, when I see, you know, students. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. When I see students wearing their their Kurt Cobain shirts at school, <laughs> or uh, or people talking about how he was the poet of the generation, and I'm like, 
Well, wait a second. I, I was that generation, and we didn't go around. No one in my generation was going around calling Kurt Comey the poet of our generation. Yeah. But I think that's a marketing thing because they said, oh, look at what Jimmy Jim Morrison did. Let's take that whole Jim Morrison shtick and, and, and plop it on, on Cobain, who, and again, not saying Cobain shouldn't be remembered as a iconic musician Absolutely. and singer, but again, it's it's that fakeness that we see that that brings up a cynicism in me. Oh, me too. Yeah. Years later, where I you know, and I can listen to Grace and go, yeah, this is a spectacular album, and and all that. But then there's that other question of, would it be like you said, would it be remembered as a spectacular album? Yeah, I, or I, is I, it more remembered as a spectacular album because? Of what happened to Jeff? Buckley. Yeah, I, I think that definitely his death made everybody revisit it and like uh, re- agreed, and revisit yeah, it and revisit it and revisit it, right? And and seeing as that's all we're you're gonna get out of him, and other than like the releases that came after of his demos and that crap, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's yeah, you're left wondering well what could have been, and. To to me, I always just I, I for Grace, I listen to it and I go, I think this is just a great album. It was introduced to me by you know someone special to me, and and so mm-hmm. that's it, it, that's another reason it probably sits as a nice album to me. It's uh, it's yeah, it's just it's got that link to it as well. And there's certainly no taking away, right? I mean, this is a guy who, if you look at him, I, I love the story that uh, that I did stumble across that while making the record, the executives at Columbia hated the album cover <laughs> because they were worried that people were going to think it was a new Adam Ant album. Uh, big Adam and the Ants album. But, but well, if you now look at I'm going to think that for yeah, God's exactly. sake. <laughs> you love what when I do this hell? to you, right? So, but it's funny though, when, like you look at him, he's a, gorgeous guy like i mean he's a he's a great looking guy movie star looks this voice that's ethereal uh an incredibly talented guitar player um like he really had had it all going right like he and and it's weird because you look back now like young people today if you're looking at your top 40 chart everyone on your top 40 chart is a solo artist. Oh yeah. If you go back to the 1990s and I know Jeff Buckley quote unquote was a quote unquote band, but he's on the cover, right? He is the guy. Jeff Buckley is the guy. And as much as he referred to it as this is the band, the Jeff Buckley band there, he was the iconic star of that band. And if you go back and look at 1994, the solo stars were, in pop music oh yeah right they were the the paula abduls and the mariah carey's and the they weren't in in rock right so you've got this guy who really could have propelled what we now see as you know that that pop star that pop rock star right Like, like he really i think could have been on a trajectory to be an absolutely massive star because of all of those things right being an incredibly gifted musician being a great looking guy. I think the other interesting thing is that if you go back and look, and we talked about this before the albums that came out in 1994, um, this is a guy who is not a blazing big in your face grunge rock God. No toxic masculinity either. No, 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 none of that. Like I think he, he was a guy who very much, 
uh, I think record labels probably looked and said, we can, we can sell this rock guy to a pop audience. Right. And, and I think that's probably why they gave him that other opportunity to say, okay, the album was a little disappointing, but sales wise, um, okay, let's, let's see what we can do. Right. Like, mm-hmm. let's see what you're going to do on the second album. Like yeah. I, I think they saw in him the potential to build themselves uh, a really contemporary, you know, heartthrob pop pop star. And I don't, and I don't mean pop stars in that, like, you know, really kind of get the idea of a pop song out of your head, but like, like a, a rock star that could also cross over to a mainstream market. Yeah. And I think, yeah, this was early early enough in the 90s so you wouldn't get that you know that effect where like the next album was like hey we got to put you with like this producer or something You're like, right. like Andy yeah Andy Wallace and uh Andy Wallace right he did Yeah that. and I think they he'd done but the I rounds think they did do that Yeah, yeah but I think he they did, did he, do that a he'd bit. done the rounds but he was like he again it was just like okay uh I'm trying to think let's we we need a bigger sound. So what do you go get Brendan O'Brien, who was also right, huge right, right. at the time, yeah. right? Like, it, like, and make it a more a rock album, or do you like go and get like one of the pop producers and put yourself in like a million dollar studio with an orchestra and and writers and everything? And but I think it was early enough that they could have said, "Well, just I think they would have just said, write what you write. We'll mm-hmm. get it. We'll get the producer we want." And just do it. Like to me, he just yeah, he just felt like that that agreed. kind of artist that like if you just leave him alone, he'll be fine. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I think the record company saw that and said, yeah, and and let's let him breathe, and we can get a star a, a yeah. star in our hands. I right. Ho- I hope that was the case. Like again, like this but, is all just, this is just, all just like one of those stupid games. Like, ooh, what could have happened? But we did see it happen with with Kurt Cobain, right? You go from Kurt Cobain making Bleach. And, uh, you know, the never mind to being that guy whose parents walked by your room and heard the screaming music to not that many years later, uh, unplugged being, you know, coffee shop music in the background. Right. And um, and this like and and almost like it's it's what one or two albums before you can take that guy and really fabricate him him or her as a as a sellable commodity and yeah. uh i think in the industry it's right it's funny though you say that i think kurt cobain would have hated that too right like oh would, i i think you're 100 percent right like but would've... but again we also but we also did it with i mean they also did it with uh with, uh, with soundgarden right uh you oh, they yeah. were able to take they were able to take chris cornell and make him an easy listening singer songwriter and have him do James Bond car, uh, theme songs. Right. So uh, weird. And it worked, right. It worked. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is kind of odd to me. Like when you go back and look and listen to louder than love and think, really, you took that guy and made him, you know, something that soccer moms want to go see. That's, that's it. That's, that's wow. it. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember when bad motor finger was released and on spin magazine, it was Chris Cornell when he had that, huge mane of hair mm-hmm. shirtless in shorts on the cover just like screaming like looking at the at the photographer screaming and, uh, yeah. and at the time like yeah that's rock and roll and then then you know however many years later yeah, yeah. singing singing with bond 
doing uh, <laughs> doing Billy Jean as a cover, and uh, you know, it, it, to me that like you say that sort of thing worked, and I'm like, oh, not for me, it didn't. Like that was right. It's but I, I we turn off. The, we weren't the target audience, but we were the audience <laughs> that we were the audience that got them out there. Like we, agreed, it was it was like you know i i had louder than love i you know that was a great sure. album and then bad motor finger came out and i i don't care what you say super unknown is a fantastic album yeah we'll disagree uh, on that one but uh, uh... <laughs> but after that everything else they did i thought was like pretty garbage but yeah so can we talk you you just talked there about and you brought his name up uh so and you knew i was going to bring it up so i want to talk a little bit here about andy wallace's production yeah um because <laughs> i are wrong um yeah how can i put it i like this record i like yes. this record a lot yes i think it's a very 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 good record <sighs> there is a part of me wow. that can't help but wonder <laughs> you like that pinterest pause there i uh there's a part of me <sighs> that can't pause. help but wonder if there had been another producer on this record what would have happened and the, and the reason I'm saying that is, yeah, I get he was going for an organic sound. He was really trying to make his uh, Jeff Buckley's voice the star. But there's some parts in this record where I just am, I want to hear the guitar more. And I want to hear um, uh, other instruments more. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, when I'm listed, when I first listened to it, um, Lover, You Should Have Come Home, Come Over. Yeah. I, I think I was... I think I was about, it's a seven minute song, almost a seven minute song. I think I was about six and a half minutes in before I realized, holy smokes, there's an organ in this song. <laughs> and yet it's so just there, so far back in the mix. And that frustrated me a little bit. And, and I feel with such a great guitar player as Jeff Buckley is, uh, and I know Anna Calvi, the, the sensational British artist, Anna Calvi, who for me is kind of the closest artist to Jeff Buckley. If you listen to Anna Calvi or watch her perform live, her guitar sound, her voice, uh, she is channeling Jeff Buckley all the time. Uh, she has said that that's that for her is one thing she gets frustrated with is that everyone remembers him for his voice and kind of doesn't talk as much about him as a guitar player. And I'm going to put a little bit of the blame on that on Andy Wallace. Cause I think he doesn't bring that guitar into the mix as much as I would like it to be. But again, I might be coming at this from my 1994. I like my guitar loud <laughs> frame of mind. I'm a layers guy. I love like listening and layering and, and stuff like that. And they just don't do that here. But I, it's still, to me, it works. It's like, no, it's not about the layers. It's not about the hidden things in there. It's about everything building up his voice. And I think, like, his, the production, I think this is about all you could do. I, I don't, I can't, I can't hear a rocking guitar. Like, there's a couple songs where the guitar is turned up and the bass is, like, you can hear the bass, like, bow, bow, tra, mm. bow, bow. Like, it's, it's heavy. And, it doesn't take anything away, but it's still kind of, it's low and it's, it's still there to support the voice. It's mm -hmm. all about the voice, right? Yeah, you're right. And, you're right. And like I said, uh, you know, in the, if you look at some of the live stuff he did and where it is more of a rock atmosphere, mm -hmm. it, it comes out a little more there. And then, Agreed. and then this could go back to our 
what we said, like what could have happened with the next album. This mm-hmm. was a time when you were you, you were given two or three albums to do something. Yep. And you were yep. allowed to progress and you were allowed to try things. Would he have gone back to Andy Wallace and said, hey, turn up the bass a little bit? Maybe. Or like I said, do you go get Brendan O'Brien, who's big at the time, to like produce your next album? Could have been, right? And uh, that's one of those things you never know. But as far as this album, I'm going to say, going to disagree with you and say, no, nah, I think the production's perfect for I, what and it And I am... S- yeah, and I am certainly 100% in the uh, in the bad camp here. Uh, oh, no. I I spent no I spent hours actually seeing if I could find anyone who supported my claim, and I got no one on the internet. Uh, but it is you couldn't no, find I couldn't, someone I to couldn't say find anyone who would agree with me on the internet, right? So, and it's it's just odd because for me, if you look back. At, like Andy Wallace's production and mixing work and his engineering work. I mean, yeah. he mixed Nevermind. He mixes the Rollins band. He mixes uh, Sonic Youth and Helmet and Rage Against the Machine, uh, Screaming Trees, which uh, Sweet Oblivion, which I think is one of the best guitar records of the early 90s. And then when you look to his production stuff, um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's some interesting there's just some interesting choices here. I just uh, I don't always love. I really love the albums he's mixed. I can't say I love the albums right. he's produced, and I don't know if that's. Uh, and I mean, this guy is a quintessential producer. I I tell you one interesting thing I stumbled across though is that he also produced um, Fish. And there's a lot of like that guitar kind that, of noodling, well, that, noodling that, that absolutely I think comes across in Jeff Buckley. That jam band sound yeah. where yes. like it's uh it is a little jangly at times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that busy guitar work, but it's all in the high end. You know yep, what I mean? Absolutely. So, uh like Treya's Anastasio is like, yeah, that's that type of playing. So yeah, and it definitely I could see Buckley heading out on tour with, you know, uh the latest iteration of the Grateful Dead or something or Fish and mm-hmm. being or uh Dave Matthews for right. like that'd be like somebody's dream concert, right? Yeah. And, and it would fit. But uh yeah. Well, and they and they played a lot of shows with like the Counting Crows. So yeah. they had that like kind of like like you said, that jam band acoustic-y um, uh, lineage, right? And I think that's probably what Andy Wallace was trying to tap into. Uh, but for me, I just, I, the one thing that some of the production uh, on it frustrates me a little bit. Yeah. But with that said, um, it's still a spectacular record. I no just doubt. can't believe, I still can't believe, like, did you go to Twitter? Because, like, usually you can find someone say something <laughs> negative like it'd be it'd it'd be this like it'd be like the 1000th comment down like everybody like gushing hearts blah love it blah (laughs) this is the worst album of all time no it would appear i am that guy david (laughs) well that guy get on twitter that's your (laughs) hashtag jeff buckley (laughs) get something started man there we go so let me ask you dave because i i think for other people who listen to this record one of the other standouts will be the and I'm going to go to you here because this is your instrument. Um, 
walk us through the drumming on this record. What like what's going like? I mean, it, this isn't a four four time hi hat snare drum album no necessarily like what's well, going on what's going on with the drums it's it's you know it's really nice deceptively uh complicated it sounds simple but if you and it's you know i talked about how there really isn't layers but there's a there's a lot going on with the drums and and i always spaz when i think of the drummer thankfully uh, you wrote, thankfully and- you wrote it down uh, it's Johnson, Matt Johnson, Matt Johnson. Yep. And, uh, yeah. So Matt Johnson's drumming deceptively complicated, you know, sounds simple. He's keeping that beat. It's, it, it is four, four, but there's a lot of ghost notes going on with the snare. He's around the kit. Uh, and it's driving like that, that snare cracks. Mm-hmm. It's like a Stuart Copeland type, uh, just oh yeah very live, tight tight couple you know mic mic close but with lots of reverb but not obnoxious heavy metal 80s reverb mm-hmm. uh and again all made to just help jeff's voice along it's there but it's and that's what makes it a rock album you know it, it's that mm-hmm. it's that driving drums and uh just this yeah the sound he gets out of his kit and it's so simple, but if you're listening, there's just so much more going on there with the ghost notes, some nice hi-hat work, and uh, and then just some nice driving drums, four on the floor, light on the hi-hat foot, smashing, and just good. But again, buried, nice, nicely sound. You know, uh, you know, you talked about how the guitar could be a little more rocky, a little louder. It's like, no, to me, this, again, this, this is the whole perfection of the album. This is someone, the production on this is from someone who knew, like, I got to be careful. I can't turn the drums up too much, but I got this drummer here who's freaking good. So we got to throw that in there. Like, clearly experienced band. These aren't kids mm-hmm. going into the studio at 18, 19, 20 for the first time. These guys have been around. and right. But yeah. Yeah, I could go on and on about the drums and and sit and listen to each song and like, ooh, see what he did there, see what he did there. But it's just those subtle things, and that's same reason I love uh, Sean Kinney from Alice in Chains, even some of Dave Grohl's work, uh, Taylor Hawkins from the Foo's. It's very there's these subtle things going on that I always love, and those kinds of drummers don't get a lot of of the fame. Like everybody talks about the. The Peerts, the Bonhams, the the Moons, and stuff like that. <clears throat> but uh, those are the guys I also like, just for what you can f- what you can find in the space of your album, right? You know what I mean, and 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 it rewards repeat listens. And and I mean, and not to take anything away, I mean he's he is a. Uh... I mean, he's performed with some massive bands, right? He's the drummer for Duncan Cheek, uh, Alicia Fields, right. um, Martha Wainwright, uh, Dean and Britta from, um, oh, I can't remember their band uh, at the top of my head right now, uh, Beth Orton. Like, so he's made his way around still playing lots yep. of music, right? So he's obviously a well-respected uh, drummer. Well, at this point, they're pre- he's probably, I want the guy from Grace. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want the guy well, from Grace on my album. And I think most recently he's the drummer with uh, Angus and Julia Stone, uh, another Australian band who I dare say you're right were probably quite influenced by 
uh, by grace. So it doesn't surprise me. Right. Yeah. No, um, but uh, I would say I could talk about drums. I could also talk about the bass. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you talk uh, about how, again, you're, it's just not a rock, but there's so much going on with the bass too, that I think, uh, is helps in the song. Yeah. So it, it, I, I think all the musicians in the band are just fantastic and they just, you know, we, I mentioned magic before. It's just like this time place, the right time, the right place. And you get these like four guys in a room and something special happened. What was your favorite track on the album, Dave? Or what is your favorite track on the album? Uh, you know, Last Goodbye is always, mm-hmm. is cool. It's got, it's, it's actually, you know, for an album where we say there just isn't, it's not heavy. I like the, it's got a really nice driving rhythm, uh, almost a riff, I guess you could say. And I think that's really neat. And it's in, a lot of people cite that. Uh, uh, yeah, and I remember actually you had it on. The, it's one of the singles, "Eternal Life." I thought was really cool too. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. But it, God, Mojo Pin, Lover, you should have come over. Like, you could pick any mm-hmm. song, and I think it's. I can't think of a bad song.
did like i said though on these the latest listens i usually skipped over hallelujah i'm like i fucking know this song's good i know right. i know what he does and so i just don't need to listen to it right now it's a bit it's also a bit of a downer oh yeah, so, yeah for but sure. but it's yeah it's it's spectacular and and to hear his take on it is uh you know that's like i said like what a ballsy decision like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna sing that. I got this. No problem. I'm a what was he? 23, 20, like 24, 25 at the time. No problem. I got this. You? Uh, my favorite's Grace. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. and Grace and Grace for me, uh, for me personally, that one, uh, like you, you went through and picked like five or six songs for me. Grace, Grace is it. Grace is the the one I can't wait to hear every single time I listen to the record. Yeah. I think it's such a, uh, it, it, it's also funny. We've talked before on this show about how, how difficult it must be to be the record producers in a room, hearing a great record, an album that you think is fantastic and saying, uh, what's the single. And, <laughs> you know, when I listen to grace, I'm like, that's a ballsy decision to make this your first single. I mean, I think it's a great song. Uh, I just think it's a really super ballsy decision to make but, that your uh, first single. But again, though, look at the time. Of this mm-hmm, 90, absolutely ninety four, and like everything was coming out, and everything felt like yeah, that's a you know, that, every, uh, a lot of bands still, were putting out music where every song could have been the single. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, right? and, and that's it, I think that's what makes it ballsier, actually. <laughs> you know. Same year, Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails comes out, and the mm-hmm. first, the first, the first single is Closer. That's right. The, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. That, with that crazy chorus, like yeah. who sings that and expects it to right. like get on MTV and in the radio? Like what the yeah. hell? But they and did yet it. it. Was yeah, and and some would argue that was the song that broke them, right? Absolutely, that really broke them. Absolutely, right? absolutely. It was just like this. It was this weird, wonderful time. 
where mm-hmm. there just didn't seem to be rules. It didn't matter. Like, yeah, we'll put out Grace as a single. Well, why the hell not? She cries to the clicking 
mentioned earlier the influence of this album. Yes. Uh, and I mean, I think probably I mentioned Anna Calvi, uh, Rufus Wainwright as sort of two of those people who I think are really carrying the Jeff Buckley torch. Yep. Um, Leaf, uh, you know, and Ottawa uh, singer songwriter Leaf Volbeck to me yeah. uh, certainly has that sound too. Uh, Tallest Man on the Earth, uh, Fionn Reagan. Uh, I mentioned Xavier Rudd, uh, the Kiwi Aldous Harding. Uh, there's a real kind of, I, I think, a, a real embrace right now of a lot of musicians who who remind me of of Jeff Buckley. So I, it, it's really cool to see that happening. And, and one can't help but think, okay, 1994, let's do the math, right? Is this an album that was being played in those parents' homes? Absolutely. Right? And, and, <laughs> and the influence is there, right? Yeah, so. abso- absolutely. Like it's, yeah, someone's grown up with this album and passed it on to their kid. And uh, now that person is making a band. Mm-hmm. Me now, down in the park. I was the one when I 
Guelph, Ontario's Nathan Lauer is one of the unsung heroes of the Canadian indie rock scene, uh, serving as a drummer for Feist and the Fembots uh, and the band leader for the Minotaurs. Uh, Lauer was found himself at the front lines of Canadian indie rock. His most recent uh, release is Apocalypse Marshmallow, great name, and is a great collection of sort of pop rock songs that are sort of akin to everything from Springsteen and the Fleet Foxes to to Dire Straits. Um, Nathan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. No problem. No, not much, not much. Congratulations on the new record. Thanks. Uh, with what I think has to be the strangest title of an album in, I've, I've heard in my life. Oh, yeah? Do I get uh, well, some kind of award for that? I don't know if I can give you an award, but uh, but it's certainly, um, yeah, it's an interesting title. I heard the interview with on Creative Control where you talked about it, too. Oh, so, yeah, uh, yeah it's, uh, it's, a, it's a zany title. I love it. I love a good zany title. It grabs <laughs> yeah, me every well, time. Me, too. So. Me, too. <laughs> I love putting words together. It's the best thing. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tom. Tom, sorry. Was it Grace by by Jeff? By, I don't think I've ever heard of this album. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty obscure one. Pretty oh, obscure one. Yeah. Thank you, Nathan, very much for bringing it to my attention. <laughs> so with, uh, with that record, uh, or without that record, but aside from that record, what other influences have you know, uh, shaped your sound over the years? What other artists have uh shape the sound that is that 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 makes this album um well obviously like countless um uh i don't I, it would be tough for me to like pinpoint you know there's just a giant sea of stuff that i listen to and take from and but if i had to whittle it down i would put it more like albums like astral weeks and then um talking heads um neil young but also, you know, Primus <laughs> and uh, everything I've ever listened to. Nice. Is, well, yeah. I, I don't know how to answer that question. It's too broad. It gets me thinking too deeply. Yeah. Just, you're, you're, at, you're at this. Yeah. And I, I respect that answer, too, because it's like, no, it's it's uh, whatever I listen to has got me here, whether you can hear it in the music or not. Like, do, sure, I, yeah, do yeah. I hear Les Claypool's bass playing? I'm going to say no, no but, <laughs> no, but uh, it's like the spirit of some of that music. Absolutely. Right? Like the, the kind of like exploratoriness and the idea, like another one I was thinking of is a uh, colossal head by Los Lobos. Nice. That, that album is, was just made a huge impact on my life. Cause then I was like, wow, these are just like these recognizable uh, structures and melodies and things, but they were layered into this world, this other, other world of music that was just so fascinating to listen to. And the fact that they would jump, they jump from genre, like they, they didn't, they weren't working in one genre, they'd kind of jump around. You know? Yeah. yeah. A rock song, a folk song, and everything in between. And I love, I love a band that can do that. And mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it, it's, it's also the, the fact that these members of these bands have got together and they make this magic happen, right? On this uh-huh. set of albums like Primus or Los Lobos you feel like you take those bands and put them with other members or other musicians and you're not going to get that, but it's, no, the, course, it's this, no. it's this time in, in space that they, yeah. they just create together in this. Yeah. It's, it can be magic. Yeah. It's so, usually is, it's usually magic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like those, those types of albums are usually the spawn of magic really. 
So when so we're talking about this magical album, the the record that you chose for us to to take a look at was uh, was Jeff Buckley's, you know, one. I guess we can kind of say one real studio album, nineteen ninety four is Grace. What is it about this record that you know has had such an influence, or or, or how has it shaped you uh, in, in what you do? If that's that, you know, what is it about this record, Nathan? Man, I don't know. It's chock full of magic, that's for sure, right? Like it's just so otherworldly. And when I heard it, I was just, I was in like this Fugazi stage. I was really into hardcore punk rock and like metal, thrash metal and stuff, playing drums to that kind of music. And, uh, you know, love Metallica, Slayer. Um, And then I heard that album and I was, because it is fierce, right? Like it is so intensely, some of those songs are so real. Like, man, they're just blistering, right? But then there's Hallelujah, there's Lilac Wine. Um, what's that one, uh, Corpus Christi Carol? Just like, what the fuck, right? This is so like, man. And it, you, I just felt him and I just believed in him, you know? I sang along that album a billion times in my parents' basement, in my, my bedroom down there, and man, they hated it. But God bless my parents for having to listen to that. Can you imagine? Again, how old have I been back then? 20 years old, like not a good singer and trying to sing along with that. <laughs> like again and again, every endlessly like, crazy. Well, and it's, uh, it, well, it's interesting. You said that thing about being into Fugazi and, and Metallica and then coming head to head with this record. Cause just before you got on the air, we were kind of talking about, uh, there, there's a, there's a quote I sort of stumbled across when I was doing the, the research for this. And, uh, and it's from uh, The Key, which is, uh, I think, a, a Philadelphia radio station. Uh, and uh, the, the writer John Vatise at uh, The Key said, In my younger and more narrow-minded years, I had a somewhat rigid idea of what music was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Rock sounded like this, men sang like this, and those perimeters, unfortunately, did not include an intricate atmospheric guitar arrangements and a guy and a microphone delivering breathtaking acrobatic falsetto Mm -hmm. so and then you look back in 1994 and all the other albums that come out like this is probably the apex of that like grunge movement um you know you've got like green day's dookie coming out that year Uh the production level and everything is through the roof Mm -hmm. and then this album comes along and it's is it almost a little bit like you know that the the scene in the Roadrunner where the Roadrunner holds the sign up and the coyote has to slam on his brakes. Like, is it a <laughs> like? It, does this album make us stop? Because no one else seemed it like it was like rock was here, easy listening, contemporary was here, yeah, and yeah. never the twain shall meet. That's right. And there's something about this album that, like you said, makes a guy who's in the Fugazi go, "Whoa, wait a second, Fugazi, yeah. I got to listen to this." So, yeah, what was yeah. going on with that? Great analogy by the way, Tom. The road one. Oh, I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I mean, I think it was kind of the bridge. It bridged a gap, you know? You can be both things. You can be tender and, and angry. Um, and, um, you know, you don't have, you can have a world of music all to your own. <laughs> you don't have to play in someone else's world of music. You can do whatever you want. 
Um, and all that really matters is if the, the intent or your emotion or not even your intent, but some sort of energy is coming across. Right. And that's the thing from that album, the way they played that album, performed that album, recorded that album. They, it's very clear they went to just capture the moments because it's not like rigid. It's not, it's probably not even to a click half of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but it, you know, that'd be my guess. <clears throat> Yeah, one of the and things. Me, yeah, sorry. One of the things I liked, I uh, mentioned to Tom earlier, was that you could tell the guitars were mic'd instead of direct. You can hear the pick hitting the strings, mm -hmm. like that's you know in, in the quieter room, mic up close, and yeah, like they just went for that that sound and the feeling. Yeah, and you wonder yeah. like, God, how many takes did they do this in? Two, three? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Just a great band players were all really really good I, that drummer i was listening to a song that i had drummed on recently and i was been listening to this album to get back into it to talk about it and there was one fill that i that i had done that was a direct rip off i didn't even remember that i ripped off but it was like oh well there that's so close it has to be like you know can't just be concurrent invention but anyway um yeah like just a just a slick, slick band all around, but smart enough to know that not to smother it with uh, overproduction. Right. Which was a bit of a not normal thing in those days. Well, oh, yeah, you look, you look at that list of albums from 1994, and and I think the the umbrella term could be overproduction uh -huh. of all of those big albums from 1994. So this one kind of sits oddly, kind of off to the side with like maybe like. I don't know, Pavement's Crooked Rain as a as an album that doesn't seem to have that overproductive sound. But mm -hmm. uh, no, I think that's a really good point about the production. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Dave, I cut you off. That's okay. I forget what I was going to say now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but uh, part of it is too, like 94, this was again, you're coming out of, like as soon as 89, 90, 91 mm -hmm. hit, like all, all bets were off for who was getting signed and who who was getting mm -hmm. picked up right by the labels yeah, they had right. no idea what was happening there was such a chaotic shift when nirvana mm -hmm. hit like you yes. it had been building you knew it had been building because you Soundgarden had hit uh alice chains like so that whole seattle thing was coming and uh -huh. but nirvana just grabbed everybody and shook it all up and so the yeah. labels just had no clue so they were signing everybody and yeah. even even these coffee house guys right yeah. who and, and you yeah. know jeff had the lineage obviously obviously so to me this totally, was just yeah. this was just another of the well let's see what this guy can do uh, we have yeah well <clears throat> the other thing about it is jeff himself like what an enigmatic dude mm -hmm. yeah like he he presents as just this confident but yet like very deep mysterious persona right and then he sings like that that voice is just wow man you don't hear a voice like that all the time it's a super super special thing someone's haunting, so young haunting right oh yeah so then you're just like wow what is this dude so i can see any label being like we'll take a flyer on him yeah yeah for <laughs> you sure. know what do we what you know i think this that's gonna pay off but um I don't know. Yeah, that's a big part of the equation too. And someone so young too, like that, you feel like, mm -hmm. God, how long has this guy been doing that? Like, has he been singing? Obviously, he comes from a musical lineage, yeah. And so, I guess this—that's just what happens. He was just singing yeah. and singing all his life, and then 
Like he, yeah. to a lot of people, he just came out of nowhere, right? Like a Rufus Wainwright. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, and even though there's, and in both cases, there is not that, there is that father figure, and in Rufus's case, also a mother, but there's that musical lineage, but it's a disconnected lineage, right? Like, like he doesn't have a great relationship with his father. Rufus really doesn't know his, you know, wasn't really close with his father, but they both, like, it makes you think, like, how much of what you do musically is, like, you know, passed on. Is that in the jeans? Right. Is that in yeah. the jeans or what? Well, I would actually say that, you know, these kids aren't living in a vacuum either. There's aunts mm-hmm. and uncles and other family around that, you know, help generate the parent, right? So, yep. you know, oftentimes they just pick up where the, there's already music in the family, you know, kind of Right, thing. right. Um, I've heard a few stories to that effect. Yeah, right. it, uh, yeah, it's. But you you mentioned Rufus. Uh, as I was listening to it, I was thinking of like I thought of Rufus. I thought of you know Leif Volbeck, uh Has there's points in his music that kind of sounds like like him as well. And I actually started to think, geez, I wonder how many Canadian bands you know connected with this record because you know uh, you obviously know the Real Statics. There there's certainly like martin t elliott vibes to to his, sure, yeah. his playing and singing as well uh andy stachansky's falsetto voice kind mm. of reminiscent to a little bit of hoxley workman so i can't help but think that and again i think with all of those artists like you said earlier there's not that and and like you as well there's not that element of I have to be in this lane all the time, yeah. right? So I can do these different things. So you can do something on your album, like uh, Apocalypse Marshmallow, which is this fun, upbeat, uh, this fun, upbeat pop song, but then you can also bring it down, right? So that that flexibility, I think, that is on this record. Whereas, again, if you go back and listen to a lot of those other albums from that year, yeah. they're they're in the lane for the whole... 40 minutes of that, <laughs> that album, right? And they're not leaving it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's like a, I guess that's like some sort of marketing formula too. Mm-hmm. It's, e- it's easier to sell. Uh, well, it's easier to connect with people, I think, probably. Yeah, you know, probably. It's kind of like the, the sort of package it comes in is a little bit more um, or less dynamic, I guess. It's easier to get your head around it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You, you don't have to take your time. You can just dive right in, and, you know, like a pop song. There's no contrast. It's just like, yeah, we all know what we're doing here, right? Whereas art that I like is a little more mysterious. You're like, I'm not quite sure what the fuck's going on here, but I'm intrigued by it. Yeah, you know? and that's I love. It. And Grace is like that. It's like it's got highs, yeah. lows. You got yeah. the the gut punch with Hallelujah. Yeah. Which uh, yeah, let, yeah. let's talk about Hallelujah for a second. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, when that hit. And there's so many versions of that out there. Like so many people have taken a crack at that. You yeah. know, probably the best one is still Katie Lang as a fall, uh, other than Buckley. Those yeah, are yeah. two my two favorites. That, well, that I, Jeff Buckley's version of it is the quintessential. Yeah, and well, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people have taken cracks at it. Like, uh, you know, Katie Lang is probably one of the more famous ones as well, uh, other than yeah. Cohen. Um, you know, but it's. And it is it is in the middle of the album where it's kind of like everything just stops for a second. Like yeah. it, you feel yeah. that like all oh, the yeah. musicianship is just put aside and it's just a guy in a room with yeah. a guitar, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. 
you know that that's like another again a bold statement a bold thing to do on this album in this in this days where like yeah you're supposed to be putting out balls to the wall rock guitar yeah. and like yeah maybe maybe it's not as pristine as, as it had been in the like years prior to 1990 but mm-hmm. like everybody's looking for that organic sound again and yeah. so but it's all again it's heavy rock rock is back right rock is yeah. kick pop to the curb and here's a guy coming in it's like yeah here's some rock tunes but yeah. i'm gonna do a leonard cohen cover yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and i remember how surprised i was when i finally heard leonard cohen's version of it yeah like, wow this is what the fuck um i came to like the classics late yes you know? right oh i hear you yeah you know, I didn't listen to Neil Young really until I was playing in the city. I was like 24 by then. Yeah. I had heard it, but I wasn't like deep into it. Even the Beatles. I wasn't even the Beatles until I was like 18 or 19 or 20. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, the it, same. Well, I, I hadn't heard of Hallelujah. Like for the first little while, I thought, wow, that's quite the song Jeff Buckley wrote. Hallelujah. Eh, interesting. <laughs> They're like, oh, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I just admitted I didn't know Leonard Cohen wrote hallelujah yeah totally <laughs> lots of people still don't probably yeah <laughs> but but that's also probably the sign of a great cover right when when oh, you sure. do make it your own and like you said nathan becomes the quintessential version of the cover oh, right like yeah. uh i know when i dj and i'll throw in like you know the original tainted love for example and people right. what what like yeah. this is a cover right so totally. uh it, there's something about making that that cover yours like the as an artist how difficult is that to well um i guess difficult (laughs) (laughs) like first of all you got to pick the song that resonates with you right like that's going to be the most important thing something you really believe in and want to sing and then from there i don't know that's not my skill. <laughs> I, I'm not good at uh, learning. I mean, I learn about other people's songs. I look, I look at an ultimate guitar all the time. Oh, those are the chords. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, for whatever song, but yeah, I don't know. What good question? Good question, Tom. I can't answer it. All good. All good. <laughs> Do you ever catch yourself when you're recording, though? You're like, oh man, that's a Buckley riff right there, or. Uh... A Buckley tone. No, not anymore. No? Not anymore. Yeah. It, it used to happen. Yeah. yeah, you move past that? Yeah, or, uh, I don't know, that's such a linear way to look at it. Right. <laughs> you, you just, like, went back into a different pile, and not, not in the forefront, more in the background. Now, you mentioned earlier a magical record. And mm-hmm. um, I'm always, as a music fan, um you mentioned something like Astro Weeks, which is one of my absolute favorite records. And when I listen to that album and I read about how it was put together, it seems like there was some divinity there, like kind of helping the process for this album to come out the way it did. But then on the other hand, I'm also a huge Prince fan and Prince has always said uh, when he, when he passed away and uh, before he passed away and he said to his biographer, I don't want any mention of magic um you know uh godliness the sky's opening he said this is hard work this is why things yeah. get done yeah, sure. so what do you mean by that like can you expand on the idea of magic a little bit it's an interesting it's an interesting term and it's one i wrestle with all the time as a music fan what do you mean by that yeah that's a good question i mean i guess you know when i think of um 
the classic albums. Sorry, that man. I don't know. So I feel like, yeah, of course, if people are working hard. They're doing their best to um, make the best thing they can, and it's like there's a lot of amazing stuff. That stuff that you can listen to and go, "Wow, it's amazing." Then every now and then, there's like a there's a one kind of album that everyone kind of agrees on is like extra special. I don't know how, to, how else to say it, but I think we know what we're talking about. Um, and so though that's where the magic comes in. So like if everybody's trying their best to make that thing, but not everybody does, um, what is the X factor for, for the thing when it finally does all come together and it is that magical suite, like the Arcade Fire album or something? Um, what do you chalk that up to? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I mean, like you were saying before, like, the something big happens and all the labels start just throwing money around and taking bets because it's very clear they don't actually have any idea. <laughs> and they their job is to be on the forefront of smelling which way the wind's blowing and trying to make an informed guess, but that's all they can ever do. And the X Factor is magic. The X Factor is the human weirdness of like what happens when certain people come together and happens you know what i mean that whole fucking energy bubbling around that to me is what you know somehow that energies came together in that way that had that impact on other people and um that's just one of that's nature and it's again you it's interesting (laughs) you mentioned the 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 arcade fire album right because an album as well that kind of came out at least to american audiences kind of out of nowhere with a sound that was different from what everyone else was doing right yeah there were elements of you know the constantines or or the hidden cameras that they were pulling in that we in canada might have known but you know a six minute song with like this marching drum beat to it like what that and that became a hit right there's and again this album becomes a special album Mm -hmm. you know uh and you know (coughs) you know whether you know and also a very mythic album given everything else that happened in the next couple of years right so Uh, what's your favorite song on the record? It's always the most difficult question because it put, really puts people in the rock. On my situation. record? No, on Grace. Sorry. Oh, yeah. That is a good question. Um, <coughs> I'm looking at it right now. So Real is up there. Lover You Shouldn't Come Over is up there. Eternal Eyes, maybe I would say either Eternal Life, Dream Brother, Man. It's hard to pick. <laughs> so every song. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, basically. Uh, Dream Brother, though. I love Dream Brother. Love it. And what is it about it? All the drumming is amazing. The hi-hats swooshing around and the toms all the like. It's just so like dark and spooky and kind of fierce. Love it. I'm going to listen to it. with the skin so fresh free with the wind 
I love the word you use there, ferocious, because I think, you know, if, if when we connect that word to musicians all the time, I think we always want to connect it to, you know, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm listening to, you know, you mentioned Fugazi earlier, I'm thinking, man, that bass line is ferocious, right? Like, uh, you know, you mentioned Slayer earlier. Absolutely. Like we think of ferocious with hard, heavy, fast music, yeah. heavy music. Right. And yet. You know, you do think about it here, and at times this album is such a kind of slow burn, and yet there's that ferociousness to it, right? Exactly. What are, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? That that idea that like doesn't you don't have to be a big tough rock band to be ferocious. Oh no, definitely not. I think ferociousness is always from the inside out. I mean, you can't um I don't know, it's like a deep thing ferocious like think of that word it's so it's a very large word it conjures up very large like, you know he's not just angry he's not just uh i don't know whatever mm -hmm. you know go up the scale and then ferocious is at the top right um, i don't know so it's it's really take it seriously <laughs> so if someone's coming at you and they're ferocious you, you're you're taking them seriously right um, i don't know it's a hard thing to describe well that and that was his persona too and, and like how he approached his singing and his live performance he just never seemed yeah. to hold anything back and that no, was, he seemed it, he seemed unflappable yeah you know yeah not not phased yeah anything. didn't care He's what people ferocious. thought of yeah yeah oh, and you even get the sense you even get the sense of that when you hear about the record not doing as well at the time as the record company wanted and a bit of a Man, did we bet on the wrong horse here? But still feeling pretty good that okay, the second album's gonna and he, you know, and everything I read was like him being kind of down, but then being yeah, okay, let's go record. Like let's just yeah. I got other stuff to do here, and I know we can do this. And yeah. and you know, it's yeah, he did seem really kind of it seemed to be he's pretty laid back, right? And mm -hmm. you know, and I think unfortunately with his death, we we tend to put a little bit of the myth sure. of that I know, like I know. wounded personality on him, but he never. You know, from everything I've read, he wasn't that guy, right? He wasn't yeah, yeah. his dad. He wasn't, uh, you know, Nick Drake. He wasn't, yeah. uh, you know, he just wasn't that guy. But yeah. yet, I think in death, we tend to to put those labels on on musicians who die young, right? Yeah, and that's kind of the, the other, you know, the big three or four kind of categories of this album that we've been talking about last time. Like, you know, the the performance, the songs, the singing, and now it's kind of like, um, uh, now I lost my train of thought. Like the, 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 the nostalgic part of it or? So, right. So his death, but then also knowing very clearly or feeling very clearly that he was on his way somewhere. Right. And that's totally interrupted. Yeah. And the next thing that comes out is like this, people are so thirsty for it. Ah, oh, give me some more, more of that. And then all they get is just like demos, you know, you know, dry kind of cardboardy wafer thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And it's like some of the, there's one song on that album and stuff like, okay, but the rest is like, man, he'd probably be so livid to know that this was out in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are, there's a reason those songs never saw the light of day, right? Yeah, exactly. They, they weren't what Have you heard, he's doing. Yeah, exactly. Have you heard of, um, what's his name? Oh, what's his name? Asked, uh, Anderson Pack, Anderson Oh yeah, Anderson Pack. Yeah, Anderson Pack has a tattoo that says um, 
promise me when I die, you, you won't release my demos. They're just <laughs> okay. never meant to be heard by anyone. Yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and how much of that again adds to that, that myth, right? I mean, and what we, we as an audience member or someone listening and, and whatever we're going through, we kind of manifest onto that musician. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, exactly. yeah. Yeah, happened to Cobain, happened to 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 everyone, right? So yeah. we kind of manifest these things onto people, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, uh, we, should, well, we should actually be more cognizant of that. Yeah, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, what we're actually seeing, we're also bringing some of what we're seeing from the citizens. Yeah. Now you, <laughs> you, we have to see your favorite song, and what's your favorite song on your record? Oh yeah, I don't know. Well, Passing Train. Okay, why? It's my favorite. I don't know. Just one of those things that we hit it. You kind of like, oh yeah, that's perfect. That's well, not perfect, but that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You did pretty good. <laughs> you, can say, you can say perfect, Nathan. That's yeah. all right. No, 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 no. My son says there's no such thing. So no. Oh, very good. <laughs> there we are. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we abide by that rule. There we go. Well, Nathan, thanks for joining us, man. I'm sorry to take up so much of your time when you were trying to get the kids down. No, no, no. Sorry for the interruption. Sorry I wasn't able to make it happen last No, that's all oh, good. That's Don't all worry good. about that. No, that's Not a problem at all. Gave us more time to spend with Grace, so it was all good. There you go. Perfect. I appreciate, I appreciate talking to you. Thanks to Wadi for letting us use his song In My Heart as our theme song. Thanks to Nathan Lauer for joining us this week. And most importantly, thanks you for listening to The Sound Effect. If you enjoyed today's show, please, please, please share it on social media uh, and share it with at least one person out there who you think might really enjoy the show. Uh, We'd love to get more people listening and word of mouth from fans like you are the way in which we're going to do that. So please pass it along. And remember, there's always a great record out there just waiting to be discovered. So keep listening.